Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists with the F5 Dev Central team. We're from community.f5.com. Would love for you to check out our website, uh, but would also love to hear from everybody who might be watching live right now. I know a couple of folks have already said hello to us, so I'll say hello to uh, Engine Deary, uh, our good buddy Aubrey King. Check out his content with this month in security. Uh, Josh as well, Dev Central MVP, great to have you on. Uh, folks, if you are saying hello, if you're watching live right now, we'd love to hear where you are watching from as well. So please chime in uh, from that. Oh, we've got one here actually from Germany. Helbron. Okay, cool. From uh, Germany, from Engine. Awesome. Thanks for checking this out today. Um, today, we are really excited to be talking to Tim Davis. He is a developer advocate, and I've been chatting with him on Twitter uh, for a while now, and we share some things in common, so it'll be cool to uh, have him on. But first of all, I just wanted to mention, if you are watching us from, say, LinkedIn or from YouTube or from Facebook or from Twitter right now, make sure you hit that follow button, hit the like as well. That helps us out within the algorithm. And as of a few weeks ago, this is now available as a podcast. You might be listening to this as a podcast right now, but if you aren't, you can actually find us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Uh, hit subscribe on whatever your favorite platform is. It's also on SoundCloud as well. If there's anything that we're missing, we can try to get it on there for you uh, on, onto a different platform. If you'd like, leave us a five-star review if you can, if you've been enjoying this content. And, uh, and otherwise, yeah, looking forward to connecting uh, with everybody on here. So without further ado, I am going to bring on our friend, Tim Davis. Tim, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I am doing good. Uh, Tim, for our audience today, can you give us a little bit of an idea of who you are? What have you been up to in the in the IT industry? Anything else that you want to share with us? For sure. Um, so I'm currently a developer advocate at Conductor.io, and we essentially just help you be better at Kafka, bring your own Kafka. And we have a whole bunch of tools to, uh, to help you be more successful with that. Um, previous to that, I was at an infrastructures code automation startup. I've worked at companies like VMware and Dell. Um, I, I kind of happened into developer advocacy. I've never been a career developer. Um, my joke is that I bring the ops to DevOps, uh, but really my background is in infrastructure and operations and automation and things like that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we're totally going to get into that. So how, um, maybe if we kind of dial that back, how did you get into a developer advocate role then? What was your your path towards that? So all throughout my career, you know, being in the community, being on social media and stuff like that has just been something that I did. Uh, when I joined VMware, I was a pre-sales SE in the networking and security business unit working on NSX. And I started heavily engaging with the VMware community. And with that, I started to realize that advocating for the product, going and speaking at conferences and things like that, creating content, blogs, videos and stuff. I just, that's just the stuff that I enjoyed. And I was doing it on the side. A couple of years later, I realized that there was a little team inside of VMware that I ended up joining that was the cloud developer advocacy program there, that their whole job was doing all the stuff that I was just doing for free on the side because I enjoyed it. So it's just like, hey, all the cool stuff that I like, I can just go and just do that. DevRel really, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different companies, but for me, it's just a lot of evangelizing content creation, speaking, making sure people are, you know, engaging, getting the right answers to what they need and, you know, learning without trying to sell somebody something. Yeah. 
That's really cool. I, you know, that's actually kind of similar to my path as well. I was a pre-sales SE for a long time and was creating content and stuff on the side. And, and then a, a role opened up on a team where it's like, oh, this is your job is to create contact and content and engage with the community. We're really fortunate at F5 not to brag about our community, but we have tens of thousands of people in this community that we've been growing for the last 20 years at this point. And so uh, stepped into it with everything kind of all baked already without having to grow a whole lot from the ground up, albeit we're growing stuff now. So um, yeah, awesome to hear your story on that. And you've got some pretty cool experience. So it sounds like um, infrastructure as code is, is something that you've, you've been passionate for over this, over this time. Yeah. When, I mean, when it comes to automation, I always kind of like to stay on top of what's happening. And there was a big shift when I was still doing infrastructure and architecture and things like that, where things like Terraform were starting to come around. It really looked like automating infrastructure deploys and stuff like that was becoming you know, commonplace and not just bleeding edge technology. So I kind of jumped headfirst into that, um, and that got me down a huge rabbit hole of you know, things like CI/CD, and you know, it, it's really what brought me more towards the uh, the developer methodology side of the house. Uh, mm. Writing code has never been my forte. I can copy from Stack Overflow like everybody else, no big deal. Yeah, uh, but it's really what happens with the code. So after the commit, what happens to you know the deployment? Are you testing? What does your CI/CD pipeline look like? Um, and everything like that. That's really kind of where I fell into and where I seem to, uh, you know, to fit nicely. Yeah, cool. You've, re- you've written an article. So I've linked that article in community.f5.com. So if folks are heading, if, if you're looking at the page, you head over to the menu bar under groups and you'll find a group called Dev Central Connects and you'll find links that accompany every one of these shows. So there is a, a forum thread for the specific show. And then there's two articles that you wrote um, about a year ago, I believe, on infrastructure as code. And so folks can find that there. There's a part one and a part two. And it was cool because you actually took the two sides of it, I guess, the infrastructure side, code side of things, uh, which I think is cool because, uh, like you said, you you weren't a coder initially. Like, what what was your background with code? Was it just a little bit of dabbling in university or high school? And then after that, you're just doing infrastructure? Yeah, I most of my coding experience and where I really got started, like, I mean, in high school, I did an independent study of Visual Basic.net way back when, you know, and kind of trying to figure that out. I've never been great at it. Uh, my professional experience came from being, you know, a full scope systems administrator, being in charge of everything that gets plugged into the wall. So I was, you know, trying to write and hack together PowerShell scripts to make things easier. And that's, that's kind of where I started with that. And it, at that point in time, I just, I wasn't following developer methodologies at all. I was not using a repository. I wasn't using anything of that nature. I was just writing it in notepad and executing it and seeing what's happened. Yeah, that's cool. So you worked in operations when you were doing that? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, so in these articles, it's, it's titled, uh, infrastructure as code pitfalls. So do you have any learnings that were maybe from like real life scenarios that, uh, you were sharing here or these, uh, scenarios that you were observing? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's one of those things where the very first thing that comes up with infrastructure as code and it, it gets adopted by companies in completely different ways. Sometimes it's infrastructure and operations trying to make their jobs easier. 
Sometimes it's the development teams that are like, I know what I want and I know how to get it. And they just write code, ship it off to an API and do that. But the one thing that a lot of folks don't think about is that when it comes to infrastructure as code, you're not just looking at the issues that come along with infrastructure or the uh, issues that come along with code. It's really both. So it's really good from the very beginning to make sure that both teams are involved. I mean, you know, one of the critical pieces of DevOps is simply just communication, making sure that anybody who is involved in the process along the way has clear communication path. Everybody knows what the end goal is. You kind of work together and share your experiences. And that's one of the biggest pitfalls is just not involving the other people. So if you've got a development team that's trying to write and deploy that, they don't necessarily have the career of experience in deploying and managing infrastructure. The same as the infrastructure team who's trying to pick up Terraform may not necessarily have the best methodologies and procedures for managing that code and writing that code. So if you involve those two teams, bring them together, you kind of have that wealth of experience on both sides and that can help mitigate a lot of the issues that you'll have along the way. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. You mentioned actually this concept of dry and that's actually, actually, I'm not a coder myself. That's actually mm-hmm. the first time I'd heard that term dry, but it makes sense. Oh, really? Don't repeat yourself. So yeah. Maybe you can talk through what you mean by that or what people mean by that. For sure. Um, there's a lot of different ways to work with dry. Dry is just don't repeat yourself. And it's essentially a coding methodology of write as little code as you have to. A lot of my talks, a lot of the things that I do, especially with automation, it all boils down to the fact that I'm lazy and I want to do as little work as humanly possible. (laughs) And when it comes to creating code and managing infrastructure as code, write it as little as possible. Um, There's lots of things that you can do with that using, like if you're using Terraform, write in modules so that if you're going to build, say, an AWS VPC over and over again, cool, just write that VPC code one time. But you can also take that a step further and use variables. So instead of hard coding those values in and having a completely different set of that same code over and over with all those variables hard coded, just take them out, use a variable file and inject those variables so that you have that one set of code that you can use over and over and over again, but you're just using different variables for each time you deploy that. Um, It just allows you to kind of design and implement your code and your infrastructure in such a way that it is repeatable and that you can utilize that over and over without having to say, whenever you make an update, you don't have to update 15 different copies of the same code. You just update the one. And I like, I'm thinking back now to scenarios in the few scenarios that I have had to write code. Mm-hmm. And then the code gets so long and I've realized that I should have added variables so much earlier on in the process. <laughs> and yeah. then you're kind of going through and refactoring and trying to add your variables afterwards. Exactly and it's right. just a total mess. And then you have like some static stuff and some variables and you haven't totally completed it. But uh, where, you know, do you have any ideas on, should you just start with that right away? Just start with variables right away or, you know, test it a bit. For sure. And that's one of those things that the reason I wrote this article was because at the time I was having a lot of conversations with people who were either just starting to look into infrastructure as code or they had just recently started their journey. So it was one of those things that's like, hey, don't go too far before you, you know, figure out some of these mistakes or some of these things that could help you be more successful faster. Um, the sooner you start using correct methodologies, correct procedures and planning ahead, you'll save yourself a lot of time. I mean, even things like just picking the correct framework, mm. you know, there's Terraform, there's Pulumi, there's cloud specific ones of like cloud formation, uh, there's ARM templates in Azure. It all depends on what your use case is. There is no correct answer for which one you should use. But 
you know, maybe if you don't know if you're going to be 100% in AWS in the future, maybe use something like Terraform that you can't necessarily just copy and paste that into Azure, but you'll have a lot better starting point to migrate and to utilize a different cloud as opposed to just using CloudFormation, which for sure can't go into Azure in any way. Yeah. So the, the sooner you think about all of these things and kind of plan that out, you'll have a lot smoother, you know, transition and push through to the future. Yeah. We've got a couple of comments too that I'll bring up. Jason awesome. from our team says dry. It's almost always a refactor for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, it's one of those things where if you just kind of go for it and you're hard coding as if there's only going to be one copy or if you're never going to need to change anything, uh, going back through and refactoring for dry, it, it can be a lot. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's also other frameworks specifically for that. Like there was a wrapper for Terraform created called Terragrunt and at the time, Terraform really couldn't do dry very well. And Terragrunt's entire use case was just being able to create repeatable modules and be able to deploy things in smaller chunks. Uh, these days, Terraform can do all of that natively, um, but it definitely, people saw the problem and you know realized that writing infrastructure as code with the dry methodology is a lot better way to do it from the start as opposed to trying to shoehorn it in or fix it later. Let's see, we've got another comment here from Engine. Uh, and Yagni, you aren't going to need it to the next. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, actually. Don't add a bunch of one? stuff that you don't need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. Man, like I'm just thinking through any time that I have written stuff, it's like I'm just doing this for a test and I'm not going to use this again. And Always then goes I to write, production that way. <laughs> yeah, and then I write just total garbage and, and ended up using it and I'm like, Oh, I wish I did this really nicely. Every time, place. man. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it seems like a pain and it seems daunting, but always write and design as if it's going into production the next day or whenever it is, because nine times out of 10, when it comes to design, it's going to go into production that way. Yeah. Um, so if you design for development, just it's not going to go down that way because they're going to be like, oh, we already have this. It already works. Let's go. <laughs> so save yourself some trouble. In your experience with developers, like working with developers, what... You know, are they following this stuff too? Is it just a habit of people who didn't have a development background or the developers, are they following their own good practices or they have their own pitfalls? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the developers are already following this methodology. They're using dry simply because that's how they learned to code. Going through and designing for infrastructure though can sometimes be an issue. You know, if you've ever gone and deployed something in AWS or Azure when you're having to click next over and over again, there are so many different things that you can fill in there for variables. Some of them, you know, have defaults. Some of them don't. If you don't design that into the code, maybe it deploys something with a default value that you're not sure of. Um, so that's one thing, you know, developers are always going through, they're looking, they're making sure that they've got, you know, everything set up, that they know what that code's going to do when they execute it, how to design that code, if there's specific things that need to be added in there for it to compile and run. But really, if you go through, you have to make sure that you're checking your defaults, that you're writing your code and you're structuring it properly. And there's also designing for state size, which is kind of a big deal as well. Not necessarily in the writing code aspect, but just from the execution aspect. And it's just one of those things that comes along where with somebody who just writes code that doesn't necessarily understand what happens when you try to deploy and you try to manage that code, you know, sometimes it can cause issues. Right, right. They just hand it over and they're like, deal with this. And Ops then is problem now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, so let's park that for a second. For folks who want to dig into that a little bit further, and Tim is actually uh, a member of community.f5.com. So we have the show thread. You can head over into our groups, into the Dev Central Connects group. You can ask further questions from within the thread as well. We've got a comment here actually from Douglas Thomas. Everything temporary becomes permanent. That's you, true. Man. That's so true. <laughs> That's a great comment. Yeah, very cool. So head over to the show thread. We've got links to the articles on there. You can ask further questions uh, on there from Tim. I wanted to move on and, and find out more about what you're currently up to right now, though, Tim. You recently made a move uh, over to Conductor. Maybe you can tell us I about did. what inspired that move and, and what you find cool about that company. Yeah, um, my past you know, couple of places have been really small startups, um, like I I was employee number nine, U.S. employee number one. And oh. one of them, I was employee number 19 at one of them. Um, I like to build in terms of DevRel. Like I like to be able to create the structure, create the department, you know, and things like that. But sometimes it can be a little difficult at really early stage companies just because you don't have the support you need from like a marketing and a sales perspective to be able to make sure that you're validating the data and doing what needs to be done and engaging the right people. Mm. At Conductor, we have a really, really great team uh, across the board. It's a really great product. For me, it's a new market segment. I can fully admit that I am not a Kafka expert, nor have I ever been. My skill is not in whatever technology I work with for DevRel. My skill is in DevRel and I get to you know learn the technology. So that was something that was really interesting to me is to go in and kind of learn something new and how it works and you know start to become the guy for that technology. So it was definitely a, a good move for me. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's one of those things where if you're using Kafka in any way, shape or form, we can always make that more approachable. And it's great whether you are brand new and just learning or you're a veteran and you need some you know better visibility, better testing and better management. If that's something that you're interested in, we have one of our co-founders is Stefan Merrick, who is like literally the guy for Kafka. We have a ton of free content which is Kafkademy, which you can find through conductor.io. It will teach you from start to finish what Kafka is, how to use it, how it might benefit you, and kind of get you on your data pipeline journey. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I love the wealth of, as as DevRel just develops further, um, the idea of like all this free content that goes out yeah. there to learn stuff. Um, I, I uh, my son this weekend, one of my kids this weekend, we, we built him a new computer for... Christmas. So he's, he's got this new computer going and then uh, he's been into robotics and stuff and engineering awesome. type stuff. He loves watching Mark Rober uh, and watching other engineering type Very videos. Cool. And uh, he, last year he got a robotics set. Thanks to Jason Rom for uh, recommending uh, one for him. Nice. And he's been playing with that. And so I'm like, Oh, I got a 3d printer. You got a new computer. You can start to model things in, in uh, blender and, and start to print them off. And just the amount of free, stuff out there like i remember when yeah. i was in school we had 3ds max and we were just there was no instructions for us whatsoever we're just farting yeah. around after school trying to model stuff he's just watching youtube videos he's like within an hour so much further ahead than i ever was with 3ds That's max awesome. back in yeah. the day <laughs> and it's just all free out there like to be able to learn all this stuff it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, imagine how far we would be if we had that kind of access to resources and stuff like that. And I mean, in all fairness, I still do it today, but it's weird because now as I get further along and I'm more ingrained in the technology community, when I need to learn something, 
I just go, oh, hey, I know this person and they're an expert. Let me go follow and grab their stuff. And uh, it's interesting to know that person. But just you're absolutely right. The the wealth of information that you can get for free and just get started. Uh, it's really cool to see that. I love being able to add to that and just kind of help people get started. Uh, I was never the, you know, go to college kind of person. Uh, school just wasn't for me, but I like to learn. So uh, it's, defi- it's definitely awesome having that kind of unstructured ability to go through and learn at your own pace, learn whatever you want. You know, maybe there's different uh, content creators that will give you that information in different ways. So it may be easier to consume one way or another. It, it's huge. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I mentioned that to folks with, even within F5 as well, like we have the dev central YouTube channel and I, and we have lots of pieces of content on there and people will come to me and say, Hey, I'm thinking of making this video. It actually already exists. And I'm like, you know what, <laughs> if you say it in your way, and convey yeah. it from your angle, it's probably going to come out a little bit different and in a way that might relate to somebody a little bit differently. So don't hesitate yeah. to just make that content. And then maybe it's like, you know, you're, you're, if you make a part two and part three and part four of that content, maybe it does take a totally different direction. So don't let repetitiveness get in the way of, of creation in the first place. And, and I've always said that, I mean, I've had several people, you know, over the past few years, just ask like, Hey, like it seems saturated. Is my stuff just going to get lost? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe it helps one person. Maybe it helps a thousand people. Your voice is different than somebody else's. Your way of thinking, your way of processing, your way of portraying, you know, information. Um, you know, never let the fact that something already exists stop you from doing it your way. Yeah. Which is cool with you going to conductor. So you're saying you're not a Kafka expert. So the content yeah. that you create, I'm sure, is going to come from a different perspective of somebody who has to get up and running on on something really quickly. They might not have that background and then they're going to be right. able to relate to you. Super cool. Yeah. And I, I like that. That's that's the kind of thing that I like to do is learning in the open, you know, making sure that people understand that you will fail along the way. You will struggle. You will be a little slow at times, a little fast at others. You know, nobody's perfect. There's a lot of, you know, content out there that looks polished and perfect. And you're just like, I want to be that person. I want to be that good. It's like, you have no idea how many takes it might've taken them to do that or how long it took them to build and learn that demo just for that little piece of content. So it's definitely good sometimes for me to put out the content that shows people that I am a real person and that I don't, I'm not an expert, but I'm doing my best and I'm trying to help other people learn along the way as I learn. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, so the um, content that you guys have right now that allows you to go from zero to 60 yep. with uh, Kafka. Yeah. So Kafka Academy is a big thing. If you're interested in that, um, it is a completely free program to go through and kind of learn all the basics and see that. We also have a ton of videos out there that are going to go out there and show you kind of not only how to utilize Kafka itself, but also utilize the conductor platform to make Kafka a lot easier to approach um, and manage and everything like that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, very cool. So we'll have links to that in the show thread as well. Um, so at this point, what I want to do is I'm going to bring up a couple news articles here. We're going to talk about some current events. So if you are watching via video right now, I have a couple articles out on the screen. Now, if you're listening right now, you can find all of these in the show thread, which I will link in the description of the show. First article that I want to bring up here, Meta, we talk about VR and Metaverse uh, somewhat often on here and AI on the show as well. Um, Now, Meta is expanding its partnership with the NBA to offer 52 games in VR. Uh, We were chatting before the show. We both have uh, headsets to 
um, to experiment with uh, this kind of stuff. What's your thoughts on uh, watching basketball in VR? You know, I have actually caught myself on the quest to sitting in the virtual living room on the Netflix app watching, you know, stuff from time to time. Uh, I can definitely see the appeal, especially if they're pushing, you know, virtual interactions and stuff to make it seem a little more engaging. I'm all for it. I, it. It's kind of hit or miss on how VR technology is catching on and, you know, who's using it, who's not. But they're definitely, they're they're taking steps forward. They're doing the best they can. And, you know, Meta definitely seems to be, uh, you know, going all in on the uh, the VR future. Yeah. You know, I... I- I, I usually look to my kids to predict what the future is going to be. And yeah. they have the PlayStation VR. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have my quest Two out for them to play with because I want to make sure it's uh, still in one piece so that I can use it for experimenting and, and whatnot. But they're, they're playing with their PlayStation VR and they have a bunch of games on there and they have a couple games where it's multiplayer. They can chat with their cousins on there who are playing at the same time. That's cool. And, they're just growing up with this being a normal thing for them. Like I think from our perspective yeah. in our age, we're like, Oh, this is a new thing. And this is totally changing how things are. And we're unsure right. of it. Whereas from their perspective, it is normal to interact inside of a VR world for them at that point. So I don't think there's a lot of resisting at this point. It's more of finding cooler and cooler use cases, mm-hmm. but people don't need the adoption of the elder millennials or the, the Gen Xers or anything like that. Like yeah. we're not the ones who are deciding whether or not this goes. I think it's the the next up and coming generation who's yeah, already sure. decided that this is the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that'll be cool. I'm actually going to see if I can check out one of these. I don't know if you have to pay for a subscription for that, or maybe there'll be a, a few that'll be free uh, with that, but I'm looking forward to checking, checking that out and see how they mm-hmm. execute it. I think it does come down to the execution of it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it, if it, if it's low resolution or it's laggy or it's not immersive enough, that might, uh, might be a failure. So we'll see. Yeah, definitely worth trying. Um, yeah. All right. Next article here, enterprise restaurant compute by the Chick-fil-A enterprise restaurant compute team. This is a really cool article. I guess there was an article in 20 summer of 2018 on edge Kubernetes deployment in Chick-fil-A. That's CFA Chick-fil-A um, for folks who are not in North America and actually not even in the U S because we don't have Chick-fil-A in Canada that I know of. At least I, I don't know of any ones that are near me, but Chick-fil-A is a very popular chicken sandwich restaurant in the U.S. So if you're outside of the U.S. right now, just kind of picture um, McDonald's, but more chicken focused, perhaps. And uh, yeah. people are into, my kids are into the sauce. Like we've been down to the the States where we've driven across the border, picked up some of the Chick-fil-A sauce and, and they put mm-hmm. that on their chicken sandwiches back home. Um, but they have really cool detail around their edge deployments. Every restaurant has Intel NUCs that are shipped out and they boot up and they throw K3S, I believe on here, not K8S on uh, there. So K3S. Yeah, it's, you passed it up there, but yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Such a, it's, it's a really cool detailed deployment. And this is kind of what, you know, some of the use cases that people envision for edge computing like they're actually doing it and rolling it out. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, you know, have you looked into the original article or or this article? Yeah. Um, so I saw the original, you know, when it came out in 2018 and it was definitely interesting and also made a lot of sense for anybody that doesn't know Chick-fil-A. They are only open six days a week. They're closed on Sundays for religious reasons and all that. And it is kind of a cult following, if you will. Like you are either 
a huge fan or not. And I, they just do an insane amount of volume for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner and everything. There's always lines wrapped around the buildings and everything like that. Um, so they're just nonstop from open to close. So it really, really makes sense that with a high volume place like this, that they're really taking steps forward and trying to stay ahead of everything to be as agile and as fast as possible. Because when you're doing that much business, every little optimization can make a huge impact. So going through and having this kind of technology there to make sure that you're, you know, accounting for everything that you're able to report correctly and everything like that. It's just, it's really, really cool to see what they're doing. And it's extremely complex for a fast food place. That's cool. I mean, there's got to be value in there enough that it justifies the cost, uh, the cost mm-hmm. of the equipment, the cost of operations and something that uh, they, they deem is um, you know, business necessity, especially to, yeah. you know, when you're a franchise and forcing that on all your franchisees, maybe Chick-fil-A is in a different position where, you know, you don't, if you're a franchisee, you're totally up for whatever the, the <laughs> franchisor has to say. But you yeah. know, if you were another franchisee where that person might have some choice into what type of franchise that they want to become, if they want to mm-hmm. break from it or something like that, well, you know, typically with the franchisor, you're, you're making sure you justify everything. So they can justify this and say, this is going to help your business, your, your franchise. Right. So that's pretty cool to, uh, to be able to do that. That's yeah, really interesting tech. Yeah. Awesome. So we are at time at this point. So I'm going to um, close this out here. Tim, thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, maybe for the folks who are listening or watching right now, where can people uh, find out more about you and connect with you, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. I am at VTimD on Twitter. Um, and if you're interested in Conductor, it'll be Conductor, C-O-N-D-U-K-T-O-R dot I-O. Awesome. Fantastic. All right, Tim, thanks a lot for joining us today. I will uh, pull you down and close out the show after that. All righty. So big thanks, Tim, for joining us today. We'll have all of his contact information in the show thread. So please do check that out on community.f5.com. If you are watching us from YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter right now, please click like on this, hit subscribe. Uh, If you want to see more of this content, turn on notifications. If you want to know as soon as we go live next time. And also check us out on an audio podcast if you have not checked that out already. So we're on Apple, Google, Spotify, and on SoundCloud as well. If there is anything that we haven't uh, identified as a major platform that we should be on, let us know and we'll get ourselves on there. So otherwise, thank you very much for joining us today and we will see you all next week. Bye for now.